Go ahead, and, uh, if you would, in uh, your Bible, turn over to Genesis chapter 3, and we're talking about supernatural increase, and tonight specifically the attributes of those that walk with God. How many know it's a big deal to walk with God? And what's interesting about that phrase in more of the traditional translations particularly, you'll only find the Bible say that about three men in its entirety. Three that explicitly the Bible says walked with God. And so in addition to looking at those attributes, we're going to look at what we can learn about walking with God from their examples. How I many know if they were told and they were, it was said that they walked with God, we need to pay attention to what they actually can teach us in this day that we live in. Now, that doesn't mean no, nobody else walked with God. I'm just simply saying that the Scripture points out specifically that these men walked with God. Now, in Genesis chapter 3, I'm going to point something out to you at the outset. In Genesis 3, if you look at... Uh, Look about uh, verse 8 there. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord. And this is right after their rebellion. Uh, the Lord God, as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? Now, why is this important? The, the habit of these two individuals at creation was to walk with God. Literally physically, spiritually. And watch what happens when sin comes in. It immediately compromises our ability and our desire to walk with God. They go from walking with God by, by habit, by lifestyle, and now they're hiding from Him. You see, the, the greatest part and the greatest consequence or result from the fall is that they stopped walking with God. And it shouldn't be a surprise to you and to me tonight that there is no way for you and for me to walk with God and continue in sin. If you're walking with God, you're walking away and out of sin. If you're walking in sin, you're walking away from God. And so that when we talk about this, we're certainly not using this phrase flippantly. We're not using this, uh, you know, in a comprehensive manner. How I many you know the Bible does say that we ourselves you know, walk this out ourselves, we have to deal with the reality of what it says in Scripture that the standard is and then choose to line up with that day by day. I mean, you know, it's not what you did last week that matters. It's not what you're going to do in 2021. It's what you're doing right now. So we work out our own salvation with fear and with trembling. In other words, nobody can walk with God for you. You can't walk with God for someone else. You have to make sure you make that choice. So watch this. God's desire and one of God's greatest pleasures was walking with his people. And not only is it a consequence for us today, what they did, it was a consequence to God. He didn't do anything to deserve that broken fellowship, but that's what happened as a result of sin. So walking with him is a big deal. And you'll find out in Scripture that everybody that walked with him, people that stuck you know, close to him, people that honored him, were blessed people in every area, spiritually, physically, materially. He blessed them because he honors those that walk with him. In Amos 3, 3, the Bible says, you know, do two walk together unless they what? Unless they agree to do so. Now, how many understand that God's not going to move from his position? So if there's going to be agreement, it's not going to be him stepping down or lowering his standard. It's going to be us agreeing with him. 
Right now in this world, there's the, there's the voice of the devil, there's the voice of the word, and then there's our voice. Now, whatever voice we agree with, that's going to determine our outcome, what happens to us ultimately in this life and beyond. So it's not God's job to agree with us. It's our job to do what? To agree with him. Isaiah 55 doesn't say, you know, let God forsake his ways and let God forsake his thoughts. It says, let what? Let the wicked man forsake his thoughts. We are to pull down our thoughts and our ways and then ascribe to his. Why walk with God? Here's a bunch of promises for you. I'll just give you the scriptural reference for them. Those that walk with God, first of all, enjoy God's presence. Leviticus 26, 12. How many know God being your portion is the greatest reward of all? There is nothing in this earth, there's nothing you can enjoy, there's nothing you can tap into that's going to replace or be better than the, the tangible presence of God in your life. When you walk with God, you first and foremost enjoy His presence. Number two, promotion, Genesis 5.24. Those that walk with God find themselves being lifted up, not by themselves, but lifted up by God. It's no surprise that you see God raise up people like a Daniel in the midst of you know, that particular situation and adversity and challenges, but he continued to honor God and walk with God, and he was continually promoted. Same thing in your life. You don't need to finagle and lie and cheat. Can I have an amen tonight? If you'll walk with God, he'll find a way to promote you in every area of life. Three is deliverance, Genesis 6, 9, and 10. No walk with God and enjoy the deliverance of God. How do you know that not everybody made it on that boat? Let's rephrase that. Most people didn't make it on that boat. But I'll tell you this, a man that walked with God did. And there's always deliverance for people who make up their mind to walk with God. I don't care what's coming to you this year. You know, that thing didn't come to stay, it came to pass. It cannot survive and thrive in your life if you'll make up your mind to walk with God. The people who are in trouble right now in this nation, the people who are struggling right now, are Christians who hit the pause button on their walk with God because of COVID. They hit the pause button on their walk with God, their fellowship with God, their fellowship with their brothers and sisters, their fellowship with their ministry. In fact, Gal just released a poll the other day that said the people who are not participating in this decline of mental health in this country, and they're talking about a serious issue of mental health, talk to people in the hospitals, and they'll tell you that people are not doing well, not seeing their relatives in lockdown, in quarantine. They're not functioning well. And overall, there's this downward curve of mental health in this nation. And you notice there's one exception, and that exception were the people who kept going to church during COVID. I'm telling you, you're going to thank God in the coming year that you made some wise choices. But you have to make those choices individually. You have to make sure you're listening to the right voices. Now, just because we preach the uncompromised word of God and do so, I believe, faithfully, not just in this pulpit, but throughout every teacher who steps up to teach, we are diligent to make sure you're getting the life-giving word of God in this ministry from the tiniest of us to the oldest of us. That doesn't mean somebody's going to receive it and do it. But to those that will do it and walk with God, you can enjoy deliverance from anything that tries to attach itself to your life. So what should be your outlook going into 2021? Positive. I said positive because he never abdicated his throne. Jesus never got COVID. Never went into quarantine. Didn't take a vacation. Scripture says he neither sleeps nor slumbers. But if you'll walk with him, you'll enjoy his deliverance. Number four, success. Deuteronomy 5.33, good success to those that walk with God. 
You walk with God, somehow, some way, he's going to give you the tools, the keys to come out on top, to have a breakthrough, to turn that thing around. I love the fact, no matter how bad it is, God can turn it around. And that's what he does for people that walk with him. Sooner or later, he's going to turn that situation around in your life. Number five is renewal, Isaiah 40, 31. You and I know that if we'll wait upon the Lord, he's going to do what? Ignore us? No, he's going to renew our strength. The smartest thing you can do in this season is to just get deeper and deeper in terms of your walk with God. And walking with God obviously means spending time with him, but not a token, not five minutes over here or check it off the box. You know, I spent 30 minutes with God in his word, but throughout the day, you're conscious of him. Turn to somebody and say, God conscious all the time. That's renewal. Uh, number six is understanding. John 8, 12. When you walk with God, you get understanding, you get revelation. It's not just in Scripture that we get understanding, but in every area of life. I don't know about you, but I need to understand the Word of God, but sometimes I need to understand practical problems in everyday life. How do you deal with this person? How do you fix this issue? How do you address that particular challenge? I need to know things that I don't know, but how do you understand if God is all-knowing, He knows. And the Spirit of God knows, and those that walk with God have understanding. That shouldn't be a surprise to us if we're walking close to God, we're walking close to the one that knows it all. Just close enough, we just might overhear something. Can I have an amen tonight? And that thing we overhear is the very thing that turns that thing around for us. We on number seven here? Number seven is provision, Isaiah 33, 15 through 16, and actually promises that those that will stay close to him, that walk with him, will actually see his hand of provision. They'll have supply. That's what this series is about. I just want you to see that there are more benefits to walking with God than just the material, just the physical. But you walk with God, and God will take care of everything. There's not a thing that you can mention, not a thing that you can go through, not a thing that somehow is an issue in your life right now, that God can't take care of that situation if you walk with him. You know, the, the Christianity and the, the, the faith life that's, that's pointed out to us from cover to cover, but particularly the New Testament, it's not there to be complicated. People complicated. Institutions complicated, churches complicated, but it's really very simple. Walk with God and things will go well for you. That doesn't mean you won't have challenges, but guess what? No challenge will overcome you. The Bible doesn't promise you a bubble if you'll walk with God, but it does promise you this. In this world, you will have what? You will have tribulation, you will have trouble, but what does it say to the believer that walks with God? Be of good cheer, I have what? overcome the world. Now watch this. There's a very powerful principle there for you and for me to underscore. While we're going through the trouble, while we're going through the tribulation, what should we be doing? Be of good cheer. We should be rejoicing. We should monitor and control, you know, and make sure the joy life is actually flourishing. And how does that happen? If you walk with God, you're going to have joy no matter what kind of trouble you have. And in the end, he promises, in this world you will have trouble, but what? Be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. There is nothing that is more powerful than the believer who's actually walking with God. You know what happens, though, in trouble and persecution and tribulation? You know what happens? It actually exposes just how close we are walking with God. And some of us find out that we're holding him at, uh, you know, arm's length. Some of us find out we're not really walking with him that close at all. 
We shake our fists at him. We complain about stuff. But the reality is, you know, when the trouble hits, it really will show you just where you are. Are you hiding behind the bushes from God? Are you holding him at arm's length? Are you just religious? Or are you really diving in and staying connected in living contact, vital union? It's not his job to make sure you stay connected. Amen. You're the branch. You're the branch. It's your job to make sure you stay connected to the vine in the word in prayer. And boy, I tell you, if you do, no matter what's happening out there, you're going to see his hand of provision. It will stun some people who've been watching your lives as they see you flourish. And you're going to get a chance to witness to them. They're going to say, what is the secret of this? What is the, you know, the power that flows in your life? What is the key? And you can tell them, you know what? I just finally realized the very simple principle of walking with God. And I'm not perfect, but I'm walking with God. Say it with me, I'm walking with God. And if you'll keep walking with God, he'll do extraordinary things in your life. I have never seen one example yet in all the years I've been walking with God and in spiritual leadership where somebody was walking with God right in sea, miracle after miracle, victory after victory. I mean, even the COVID vaccine is being called what? A miracle. Now, nobody ever uses miracles when they talk about government officials. They don't say there's another miracle from that government official. It's a miracle if they do anything, isn't it? But when we use the term miracle, by implication, whose power are we referring to? And that's what they said. They said that it would be a miracle if we had any kind of vaccine by the end of the year. Watch this. No vaccine on something of this order in the history of the world has ever been identified, mapped, produced, and distributed in 10 months in the history of mankind. I'm telling you what you see is a miracle. Now, I'm not, I'm not telling you pro-vax, anti-vax. You all can sort that stuff out. That's not my call. Thank God. My call is the word. But the, the point is that it's not happened before. I think that a lot of people who are walking with God were in the right place at the right time. And the praise needs to go to God. We can acknowledge the hand of a very aggressive president during this time, and I pray one day he actually does get the credit he deserves for what actually happened. Because it's more than just saying, wear a mask and, you know, isolate and socially distance. You have to actually pull people together and cut red tape and fund. It takes a lot of work to get this done in 10 months. And it was done. And he deserves a lot of credit. But miracles belong to God. That should tell you something about God's mindset about COVID. To all the dinglings who tried to say that COVID was God's judgment. Let me explain this to you. When, when God judges a people, 99% don't recover. 1% recovers. Or none. You get the picture here. Uh, God is the force behind this whole thing. And so what you're seeing is, even in the midst of all this stuff, Miracles. Say it with me, I'll see a miracle too. Because I choose to walk with God. Last of these is direction, Isaiah 30, 21. What a wonderful thing to know that if you'll walk with God, he'll tell you exactly where you need to go. And not really all you have to do is just follow him. Because he's walking with you as you're walking with him. It'll never be lost. Amen. Even if it's looking dark out there, even if it looks weird to you or hard to bear or challenging. You're going to be just fine. He's going to lead you and guide you exactly where you need to go. I'm glad you're one of his sheep. And his sheep know 
his voice. So if we walk with God, we enjoy all these things. I mean, no, that's a, that's a powerful list of promises there. For what? For walking with God. Now, walking with God is not just for the super holy or the special people. God wants all of his people to walk with him. But write this down. When I say walking with God, do not substitute church for walking with God. It's part of walking with God, but that is not walking with God. You know, we grew up, and if we checked the box off on Sunday morning, there was a, you know, a joy in going. We knew it was the thing to do, but, but to, to tell you that by, by Monday I was walking with God, that would not be honest at all. There was a time when that all changed for me, because individually we have to make up our own mind to serve God, not just on a Sunday morning, but every day of the week. But there are a lot of people who think this way. Uh, there are people who have divorced themselves from church, and I don't need God. And there are people who their whole life is wrapped up in church, and their walk with God is kind of anemic. It's really both. You need the people of God, and you need the God of the people. Can I have an amen tonight? Amen. That's what it's all about. So let's talk about these attributes for just a little bit. I want you to go over to Micah chapter 6. Go to Micah. And uh, one of these... I don't call them minor prophets, I just call them smaller in terms of text because there's nothing minor about what Micah has to say. Micah. And I'm going to just point out to you, you know, chapter 1, uh, chapter 6 rather, uh, verse 1 through about 7, that the Lord is just kind of doing a rehearsal of his involvement in their lives. But I want to start here um, with verse 6, I think, here. With what shall I come before the Lord? Because of his goodness, because of his involvement in our lives, because of the history of God with us. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings? Now, how many know they were required to do certain things under the Old Testament, right? That was already established. But, but what's the heart of God here? That system was never going to survive because the sacrificial system was foreshadowing what Jesus would do for you and for me on the cross. Micah chapter 6, verse 7, Will the Lord, will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams and 10,000 uh, uh, rivers of oil? Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul, even give up somebody in my own family? He has showed you. Now, this is the answer. The first part of this is rhetorical. You know, what does he want? What does he expect? What does walking with God look like? You know, thousands of animals, rivers of oil, giving up your firstborn, whatever. All the things we can think of that God would be pleased with. He has showed you, oh man, what is good. Now, whenever you see that phrase, what is good, you could also say what is godly. For God is what? God is good. He has shown you, a man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you. Now, this is powerful language here, not what you think you can get away with and just kind of, you know, just ease into heaven by the skin of your teeth. No, this is not an option here. This is what's required of you. Say that with me, what God requires. To act what? Justly. And to love mercy and to walk humbly with what? With your God. Now, you can see the, the contradiction between religion 
and walking with God in this one verse. He's not talking about you keeping certain principles and rules and regulations and sacrifices. He's talking about your relationship with him and certain attributes that should be alive and well in your heart. How do you know somebody is, is walking with Jesus Christ is going to change them? Somebody's in church 20 years and they never change. There's something wrong there. Either the word's not there, the presence of God is not there, or the person is not in a receiving mode, but there should be change or transformation. So let's look at these. He showed the old man, and aren't you glad he showed thee? It's not like, see if you can tap into the three attributes of the person that walks with God, and ha-ha, I'll just kind of wait and laugh at you as you kind of stumbled around in the dark. It's a revelation of God. It's right here for you and for me. And what's amazing to me about this scripture in, in Micah 6, 8, is it is so New Testament, even though it's an Old Testament prophet. These principles are so clearly in line with New Testament theology in the heart of God. We can't miss it. Say it with me one more time. He has showed thee. O oh man, what is good and what the Lord requires of thee? Do justly, love mercy, and do what? And walk humbly with your God. In other words, that's what he wants. Instead of 10,000 sacrifices, do justly, amen, love mercy, and what? Walk humbly. In other words, yes, there's sacrifice for sin. How many you know that we have had a great sacrifice for sin? This should motivate us even more to not need any other sacrifice. Hello. Now watch this. The first attribute of the person that walks with God is to do justly. Now write this down. That simply means to do what is right. In this world right now, in Judges 21, 25, it's very similar. It says, in this time, in Israel's history, everyone did what was right in their own eyes. We're in that day right now. You need to find your truth and live your truth. That's blasphemous. There's only one truth. The scripture tells us in Isaiah chapter 5, verse 20 and 21, this is the day where people call good evil and evil good. And that's what you see in the world. And if you don't line up with that, you become a target on social media or by those who are opposed to the things of God. And they'll laugh and they'll mock. But you know who's going to have the last laugh? Yeah, the Bible says God can't be mocked. Whatsoever man sows, that shall he also reap. So doing justly is not doing what you think is right. Doing justly is doing what God thinks and knows is right. That means we have to find out what that is and then make the choice we're going to line up with it. No matter what somebody says or does or how we feel, we're just going to come down on the side of what God says about that situation. It means to do justly. This is what separates a lot of believers to do justly, not just believe and say justly. Do you see the difference tonight? Micah's not saying believe justly. Well, that's great. I'm glad you believe that. Well, even the demons believe, the Bible says, and tremble. Why would they tremble? They know who the authority is. But you know what demons don't do? They never get around to obeying. They never get around to doing justly. That's why you could say that there are a lot of Christians that are just like demons. They believe, but they don't what? 
do. It's not the believing that got the demons in trouble. It's their what? Their hearts were revealed in their rebellion. And now they do anything but what is right, what is just. Listen to this in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 5 and 6. I'm going to read this to you from the NCV, but you can turn to your version if you want to. It was by faith that Enoch was taken to heaven, so he could not die. He could not be found, because God had taken him away. Before he was taken, the scripture says that he was a man who truly pleased God. And without faith, no one can please God. Anyone who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who what? Diligently seek him. Do you see this? What does this tell you? This scripture makes it plain, and we'll talk a little bit more about him in just a moment, that uh, there's a way to live that pleases God. And the way that pleases God is a thing called faith. And faith is marked by or proven by our behavior, our conduct, what we actually do. I can say all day, I, I believe in prayer, but if I don't pray, what is that saying? I don't believe in it. I can say, I believe in the mission of the church, but if I don't participate in it, I don't believe in it. I can say I believe that Jesus is the only way, but never give my life to him. There are a lot of people who believe that Jesus is God. They can believe even that he's the Son of God. But what have they done personally with that revelation? I can say I believe that God will bless a tither, but unless I what? Unless I tithe, all I'm doing is just mouthing something that reveals I really don't have faith. Write this down. You can always tell what you really believe by what you do. It's what you do that reveals your actual Faith. So you can see that Micah is not just some Old Testament prophet with a scattering of principles that we try to strive to and strain to apply. It's very New Testament. Faith is something we, we actually do. In 1 John 3, this from the message, 1 John 3, 7 and 8. So my dear children, don't let anyone divert you from the truth. It's the person who acts right who is right. The person who what? acts right is right. Well, God, you know, knows that I'm okay and I'm a work in progress. Yeah, we all are a work in progress, but there comes a time and you realize that God not only expects you to know what's right, but what? But to do it. If you know right, you should do right. He, it's the person who acts right who is right, just as we see it lived out in our righteous Messiah. Those who made a practice of sin are straight from the devil. The pioneer in the practice of sin. Isn't that good? He's the one that pioneered. He knows a lot about it. And you and I should not want to follow in his footsteps. The Son of God entered the scene to abolish the devil's ways. And then in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 13, And as for you, brothers, never tire of doing what is what? What is right? What is right? Let's look a little bit more at Enoch for just a moment. Go to Genesis 5. He's an interesting character. And he's experienced something that you and I will if we're on the earth. But in his day, no one else experienced anything like that. That while alive, he was literally caught up into glory. What do you think that's a type of? Yes, it is. Chapter 5 and look at verse uh, 21. 
When Enoch had lived 65 years, he became the father of Methuselah. There must have been some good genes in Enoch. And after he became the father of Methuselah, Enoch walked with God. Now, how many people did I say in the Bible literally says that people walk with God? Three. Enoch walked with God. Say that with me. Enoch walked with God. Wouldn't it be nice to put our name in there and be able to do so with integrity? Enoch walked with God 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Enoch lived 365 years. Enoch walked with God. Then he was no more because God took him away. Now, when I look at that, I go, 65 years old, he's walking with God, and 300 years later, he's still walking with God. What a testimony. I walked with God and got away, walked with God and got away, walked with God and got away. No, he just what? He walked with God. Now, watch this. It's important to see this. He walked with God, then he was no more because God took him away. Uh, scripture indicates that he was just supernaturally carted off into glory. And uh, how does God do that? Um, he's God. Um, I mean, it's, it's hard to imagine exactly what all that entailed, and we've not experienced it. We weren't there. We weren't witnesses, of course. And, and what is his condition right now? It's, it's realistic to believe that in that process, he, you know, became like the Lord is, and except for the glorified body part, which he's yet to receive. But whatever the case is, he experienced something that was very, very unique in his day that the body of Christ will experience in similar fashion. There will be a trumpet that sounds. There will be the dead that rise first. And there will be us that are still here that will be caught up together with the Lord in the clouds and forever shall we be. Aren't you glad for that? That's the same Bible. You know? Who's going to be a part of that? Those that are what? Watch this. Who gets to go up in the rapture? Let me just take a moment here so you understand this. It's not a diversion. It's really important you get a hold of this concept. We have the idea that everybody who confessed Christ is going in the rapture. No, people who are walking with God are going in the rapture. It is entirely plausible for people to misconstrue. Well, I said a confession of faith one day. I've been in the church 50 years. There are a lot of people in the household of faith all over America in every denomination who are there physically, but they're not walking with God. Enoch walked with God. And he was what? Taken away. When he comes again, he's coming after those that are walking with God. And so when you see uh, Tim LaHaye and others who, who did in book form and on the film, this, you know, uh, characterize a church service where half the people disappeared or two-thirds of the church disappeared. I guess it depends what church you're in, how what percentage actually goes. I don't know. Um, but how many understand anybody who walks into that church building, if the trumpet sounds during church, I, 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 you know, it's realistic to think that somewhere in the world there'll be a church service going on when the trumpet sounds. And that 10, 20, 30% that doesn't go, it's clear that something was not quite right in that situation. Well, aren't you glad that you're not the judge? But the fact is, Enoch experienced something that nobody else had experienced. Amen? Well, why? He walked with God. He was commended, Hebrews says, as one who pleased God. What does that mean? Well, we know that without faith it's impossible 
to please God. So what do we know about Enoch? He walked with God. What does that tell us about walking with God? Walking with God means we are believing enough to do what he says. That's what it means in his particular example to walk with God. Say it with me, believing God enough to do what he says. Can you receive that? Amen? Let's cover this second point tonight. The second attribute is to love mercy. Everybody say, love mercy. Now, that doesn't mean that you love mercy for you. We all love mercy for ourselves. We all want to judge, you know, ourselves by our intentions and everybody else by their conduct and behavior. We very rarely say, you know, about some situation that we're dealing with it, you know, it's, well, their intentions were good and that's that. Some people have arrived at that place of mercy. But when you see him talk about loving mercy, it's not about I love mercy for me. It's I love mercy for others. I love extending mercy to others. What does that mean? Mercy is alleviating the distress of others that's caused because of sin or error, mistakes, whatever the case may be. And in practical terms, in the New Testament terms, and again, Mike is, is very much in line with New Testament theology. It goes beyond the law and goes beyond sacrifices to, to real Christ-like living, living the way God wants us to live. And that is to love mercy, not just us love getting mercy, but us loving to dispense Mercy, it means being quick to forgive and quick to forget and let things go. Everybody say quick. quick. The quicker we are, the more we love mercy. Now, I've been in this a long time. You know, I can say that, that I have seen a lot of people be bestowed with great mercy. I have seen people that have been, you know, at, at death's door. I've seen people who've been strung out. I've seen them destroy their families. I've seen God, you know, put them back together. I've seen entire church rise up with love and grace and compassion and mercy and sh literally shower a person with the mercy of God. And then the first time somebody went crossways with them, there was absolutely no mercy in their bank for other people. Now, Matthew 18, the, the story of the unjust, you know, steward who was forgiven millions but wouldn't forgive his brother, you know, a $20 bill. Uh, that's dramatic because what that scripture teaches is that if you won't be merciful, if you won't forgive, then all of your sin debt is going to be reinstituted on your life. And there is no remedy for that. If the Lord rejects the remedy on your behalf, there is no remedy for that sin. That's the high cost of not being a merciful person. And, you know, all I can say is uh, to a person like that, how can you possibly receive mercy from this person, from this person, from that family, from that family, from this part of the church and that part of the church, in every way, love and compassion and finances and resources, and yet the first time you feel offended or you feel put out, you can't even muster enough mercy for that one situation when you've been a recipient of great mercy. There's no way that you're walking with God unless you love mercy. What should mercy do to you and to me? If we have been the recipients of mercy, 
It should make us more merciful than we've ever been before. With every dispensation of grace and mercy that you and I have been given, it should make us overflow with mercy towards others. And so when I see this, you notice this, it's not about us judging anybody. It's about us just looking at our own hearts and lives and asking a fair question. With the grace and mercy have you been given, are you using that, but are you also dispensing that? If we're not dispensers of mercy, that's a big problem. We're not walking with God. We're not pleasing God. You've been given much. Much is required. And now you understand we all deserve help. Look at somebody and say, you deserve it more than I do. No. <laughs> Look at somebody and say, you deserve it. I deserve it. But he gave us Jesus instead. Watch this. There is something bankrupt in the spiritual formation of a person who would receive mercy but not give it. Your spiritual elevator did not go all the way up to the top. You did not have proper Christ-like formation. You don't even have the revelation of Micah. And you claim to be born again and spirit-filled. How dare you not give mercy when you've received mercy? You're not even functioning at the level of the Old Testament prophet revelation of mercy. So when you get it, and you all have had it, and you all need it, say it with me, I need it. You may ever create a mess with your behavior or your mouth or your choices. No, never. And God jumped in there by the Holy Ghost and, and pulled you out. Come on, how many can say with a raised hand, he pulled me out? There's no question he pulled me out. What should we be doing? Pulling people out, not pushing people in. You know, I told you the story about the graveyard. The drunk man, the town drunk, used to walk through the graveyard every single night. He'd get drunk at the tavern, and then one night, he didn't know, but they, they dug a grave for a funeral service the next morning. When he got to that grave, he just fell on headlong. And he's scratching and clawing and scratching and clawing, and he can't get out. He's just scratching and clawing and scratching and clawing, and he can't get out. He sat down frustrated and miserable, and from the other side of the grave, he heard this voice, hello. He got out. Now look, we should be the one pulling somebody out of the ditch. Does that make sense? We, we, do not, we don't have to authorize or legitimize or defend someone's behavior or choices to give them mercy. Nowhere does God justify our behavior in giving them mercy. That's not what he does. You're not required to agree with what got him in the pit. Mercy just says, I want to see you get out. Now, I've been pastor long enough to say too many people stand at the edge of the, the hole and push people in. And when they start crawling out, take a shovel and slam it against their fingers. God help you. Be it according to you and to your own faith. Amen. Seed time and harvest. Blessed are the merciful. For they shall what? Obtain mercy. The micro-revelation is powerful and you need to live this way. It's not complicated and it's not so exhaustive you can't remember it. Say it with me. Do justly. Love mercy. Do what's right and love to give mercy to others. It's not because they deserve it. It's because 
We don't deserve it and he gave it to us anyway. We're supposed to be imitators of God, Ephesians 5, 2, as dearly, what, loved children. To imitate God is to be a person of mercy. I just kind of shake my head these days when somebody tries to depict my father as this evil ogre who can't wait to beat people up. But if you read carefully all the way through the Bible from Old Testament New, you'll find out a God who is greatly patient, long-suffering, no matter how evil people are. No matter how wicked, he still has what? Compassion and mercy. Scripture says he has compassion and mercy for all. Not everybody's going to take advantage of his compassion and mercy and accept it and transform by it. But you and I have had a very close look at this ourselves. You and I have been, you know, taken out of all kinds of ditches. How many understand there, there are religious ditches just like there are drug ditches? Some of the most bound up people I've ever known since being in ministry were church people. That's absolutely the way it is. Didn't drunk, didn't drink, didn't smoke, didn't run around. But they're in a ditch, a religious ditch. Amen. Or a mental ditch or an emotional ditch. And the same mercy that pulls the drug addict out is the same mercy that pulls you out. This is how you walk with God. You do justly. At the end of the day, you just have made up your mind and people can even say about you. At the end of the day, no matter what temptation is there, what pressure is on that person, they're going to do the right thing. Isn't that amazing? I mean, it's a great thing. That's the way we want to be, but we also want to be, you know, we want it to be said of us that at the end of the day, they may have a problem with it, they may have a fight in their heart over it, they may have a mental battle over it, an emotional battle, but at the end of the day, they're going to show mercy because they're the real deal. Come on, say, I'm the real deal, and I'm going to show mercy. Be quick to forgive. Don't treat people as they deserve, but as God would treat them. Practice it and love it. Watch this in Micah. Not just, okay, I'll just, I'll, I'll try and I'll, I'll do it, but I don't want to do it. No, that's not what he's talking about. He wants you to love the dispensing of mercy. He wants you to enjoy it, to be thrilled by it. When somebody's in a ditch or even if they, you know, carve you up a little bit, you respond and love to give them mercy. It's not easy, but it is the Bible. Amen. Come on, say it. Do justly. Love mercy. Say it again. Do justly. Love mercy. Uh, James chapter 2. Look at verse 12. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom, because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been, what? Merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. So you withhold mercy in your life. You keep grudges. And you keep little lists of what everybody's done wrong with you. You hold little bitternesses in there of all the things that were done wrong or the things that should have been done right that weren't done for you. And you, you have these things in your heart and you protect these little judgments and you refuse to give mercy towards those situations and people. Uh, I want to remind you that the God of your heart knows about everything going on. And you can't afford you know, for your sin debt to be restored to you. Think about this. Everything you've ever done wrong, every lousy word, every compromise, every act of rebellion, everything you ever did to hurt others, everything that violated God's word from the time you were born to the present, all your sin, everything you ever did do, everything you ever will do, restored on top of your life. 
That's what waits for the person who won't be merciful. Now, you could dismiss this, you know, if it was just a church doctrine. It's the official position paper of the Assemblies of God. But who's speaking in that last scripture? Huh? Who taught the parable of the unjust servant? Jesus. James. What's his relationship to Jesus? Half-brother. You think James understood the concept of love and mercy from the one that taught it to him? Yes. This is the reality. Look at somebody and tell them, you can't afford all your sin being restored to you. The only alternative is to do what? To walk in mercy and to love it. Come on, say it. I love mercy. I love getting mercy. I love giving mercy. Come on, say it with all your heart. I love to give mercy. You keep on saying it, one day it'll be true. Amen. <laughs> That's easy when you're sitting in church. It's nice and toasty in here. When something happens, it's a whole another ballgame. Christianity is not theoretical. And you stay on this earth a moment longer, you're going to have the ability to practice and love mercy. No wonder there's only three people in the Bible that walk with God. And you and I already covered that with you. It's just three people that are labeled that way. But what can we say about these three people specifically? They live this way. At the end of the day, they're going to do the right thing. At the end of the day, they're not just going to be merciful. They're going to love mercy. It is a rare thing. And God blesses people that operate like this. Ephesians 4.32, instead, be kind to each other, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as through Christ, God what? God forgave what? You. Hmm. You mean something should change in me and make me more forgiving if I've been forgiven? Mm-hmm. Luke 6.36, be merciful just as your father is merciful. There's nowhere in scripture where it says be judgmental. Be harsh. Withhold your affection. There are places where the Bible speaks of accountability and even where Paul said take this incestuous individual and toss him out of the church. You're putting up with this evil and you shouldn't. Clearly it was apostolic authority, and they complied. But guess what happened when the person repented? Restore him. Do you see this? Um, if you're not careful, though, you take things like that and you say to yourself, well, I'll be merciful when they repent. I'll remind you of this, that God has been merciful to you long before you repented. Some of you wouldn't be here tonight. Amen. I had a preacher say that once to me, you know, well, you know, I don't have to forgive until they apologize. What Bible have you been reading? That's like saying, well, when we repent and apologize, he'll send Jesus. That's not just bad theology, that's just stupid theology. I'm glad that he didn't wait for all of us to collectively repent. If that's the case, we're done. He, we don't love him because we started the thing. We love him because... 
He first loved us. Now what that's supposed to do is change us. The mercy of God is supposed to change us. If we're a person that loves mercy, it's because we've what? We've been recipients of it, and it's changed us. We love him because he first loved us. Him who's been forgiven much does what? Loves much. Or we just think we're not all that bad. No, you'll never be so good that you're qualified to withhold mercy. Never. Let's uh, look at uh, just one more person and we'll just park the bus for tonight on this. Everybody say, let me do right. Love mercy. The second individual in Scripture that's it's actually um, called uh, a person that walked with God is, is Noah. And go to Genesis 6. Genesis 6. When you found it, say, I found it. And look at time. Look at verse 8. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. This is the account of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time. And he what? And he what? And he walked with God. So what do we know about him? We know some things are right in his life. Uh, we know also God told him to build this ark and how many know he obeyed. And how many know when people ask, what do you build an ark for? I don't know. Lord told me to build this thing. And maybe God even gave him some revelation. It's going to rain and gave him a picture of what that's going to be like. And ultimately it was like 22 feet above the tallest mountain on this earth, a massive flood. Even if he said it's going to rain, they would have said, what? What's rain? Watch this again. If you believe something, what do you do? You obey. If you believe there's judgment coming, if you believe God gave you an order, what are you going to do? You're going to build it. With the ridicule, with everything going on, you're going to do this. I say, watch this, because the Scripture calls him a, a righteous person. The Scripture makes it, makes it plain that he is a righteous man and blameless among the people, so by the standard of even comparison, he really stood out. Now, righteous refers, of course, to him actually believing God. That is the case about Abraham. That's the case from cover to cover. When people believe God, he credits them as righteous. That's not just New Testament. We know that that is a, a reference also to Abraham's faith. You see this. But the Bible also calls him a thing called blameless. Now, write this down. That does not mean perfection. What does it mean? It means his confession is up to date. It means that his heart is up to date with God. There's no way to say a human being lived blameless perfection on this earth except for what? One person. But you can have a perfect heart. And some of y'all need to check the date on your confession. There's nothing like going into the refrigerator got a bowl of cereal and pour the milk out. And here comes this clump. Now, you all may enjoy that, but... No? 
Right now, you are asking me for a different illustration right now. It's just nasty. That's all it is. And there it is. Clump right there on your Ruin your cereal, ruin your appetite, ruin everything because it's just nasty. Huh? <laughs> are you here tonight? <laughs> Somebody, I just lost you right there. It's like, okay. Reel it back in. Praise the Lord. <laughs> Say it with me, Noah. Righteous and blameless. Say it, righteous and blameless. Uh, I'd just like to, to think about it this way. You're like that, uh, that clump. Your heart and the confession may not be up to date. When's the last time you actually had a time of repentance and confession before the Lord? If it's up to date, then the scripture would call you what? There's nothing to blame you for because it's been covered. Now, there are Christians out there in some very strong and, and well-known you know, international ministries that will say Christians don't need to confess, but that's not what the apostles taught. That's not what David taught. He said, I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my iniquity. What did John, who may have known a little bit about Jesus' teaching? Confess your sins and what? If we what? Confess our sins. He is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us of what? All unrighteousness and make us what? Blameless. Blameless in time at that moment. I don't know the longest you spent blameless. That's between you and God. But I can tell you this. People that are blameless from Noah today, they are people with an up-to-date confession. How long has it been? One week, two weeks, six weeks. Well, I have to repent so much I just got tired of it. God knows my heart. No, that's not the point. God, you, when you confess something, you're not informing God what you did. Well, if I tell him, he'll know. No. He's all knowing. He already knows. It's not about him somehow trying to love you again. It's about you restoring that relationship and that confidence that matters. Scripture is very plain. Our hearts condemn us when we violate his principles. So there was no perfection here. There was a man with an up-to-date confession. I can't impress upon you how important that is, that your confession is up-to-date. Well, you're assuming that I'm going to sin, Pastor. Yep, you're right. Got me. No, I'm not a prophet, but I can pretty much predict you're probably going to blow it here sometime in the rest of your days. I'm just simply telling you, don't wait two years to get it right. Don't hide from God when you do an Adam and Eve. Run to him. Here's the amazing thing. Even though they blew it, and he knew they blew it, and he knew they hid, he was still showing up for their walk. And he's still showing up to walk with you. It, he doesn't run from you when you sin. You run from him when you sin. And that's why confession and repentance is so important. And you'll find that he's still showing up. He still wants to walk in the cool of the day. He still wants you to walk with him. That's why it's so important to understand when it comes to, to a merciful Lifestyle. I, I can say that I, I believe this man was, was obedient. He was blameless. He was righteous. I can say that, that he was 
you know, commended because at the end of the day, when God said to do something, he did it. But you and I know he wasn't the perfect man. Well, how do we know that? Well, let's just say he drank a little bit too much. Once he got off the boat, after he made sacrifice, and he was naked in his tent, and we don't have any idea about the rest of the story, so there's no point in trying to somehow surmise something from the situation. But there he was, and one of his sons walked in and saw his nakedness, saw what? His humanity, his flesh, his imperfection. Huh? Saw it. And they went out and did what? Told his two brothers. Broadcast to someone else someone's imperfection. I believe Noah was a merciful man, but I also believe that Noah is a great example of not being treated with mercy. At least by this one son. What do the other two sons do? Put a cover between them and did what? Walked back in honor and covered that shame. Huh? Now, I don't know when. I don't know what point. But I promise you this, a blameless man got his confession up to date. If there was sin in the situation, there was confession and it was made up to date. How do I know that? Bible talks about the blessing on his life. Bible talks the victory on his life. We know that he kept his relationship fresh and up to date with God. Are you here? But to the one who was the exposer, their line enjoyed the curse. To those who covered the imperfection, I'm not talking about covering up, you know, some crime somewhere in some, you know, seedy hotel in Washington, D.C. I'm talking about the reality of how you treat one another as people of God. They receive the blessing out of Noah's mouth. Blessed are the merciful. And how do you understand that when a patriarch decrees a blessing over his downline, that downline is going to be blessed? you realized how powerful your words were over your children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren, you would be taking this seriously too. You have more revelation about the blessing than Noah ever did. If they knew that what they spoke would happen, and what he spoke over the one who was unmerciful came to pass. When he spoke over the two that were merciful came to pass. I taught this particular lesson, a situation I had to deal with as a pastor, and an individual probably didn't sit no more than Distance from me, from me right now. Heard every word I said about how important it was to treat people when they make mistakes with mercy. Use this as an illustration. I'm going to tell you what, just a few weeks later, did exactly what that one son did. And I can tell you this, the Lord spoke to me about that situation. And if there is not an up-to-date repentance for exposing and broadcasting the imperfection of a brother or sister in the Lord, if that's not dealt with, it ends in destruction. It's not a game. Lack of mercy will open up your life like a playground to the evil one. Blessed or what? The merciful. Do you know it's never going to really cost you anything to be merciful? Not going to cost you anything in terms of hardship to be merciful to people. And to what? And to love it. Hallelujah. Look at somebody say, don't be like that, son. 
So the tail-bearing spirit, the gossip spirit, that's something you need to deal with. You can see what God would think about that. Underlying the whole mentality and and the spirit of gossip is an unmerciful heart. If If you were to say something to a merciful heart, it dies with them. And not only that, they'd probably rebuke you. That unmerciful spirit, you don't want it to influence you to become the same way. So don't entertain that nonsense. Go back in your mind to Noah and how he was merciful yet treated without mercy. And make up your mind that you're going to heed what uh, what Micah said. Say it with me, I'm going to do justly. I'm going to do what is right. I'm going to love mercy. Come on, say it with me, love and mercy. Is just not loving it for ourselves. Come on, shout out, I'm a mercy dispenser. Say it again, I'm a mercy dispenser. Shout it out loud, I'm a mercy dispenser. I just don't have the gift of mercy, Pastor. Sorry. There are people that excel in it because they're allowing the Lord to live large in them. But the reality is mercy is not a spiritual gift as much as it's a command of God. Forgive as you have been forgiven. Blessed are, watch this, empowered to prosper, increase, excel, go to the highest level, succeed, are those who are what? Are merciful. You can increase from being Merciful, you can increase from doing what is right. Come on, say it with all your heart. That's me. He's talking about me. Let's give the Lord a big hand clap tonight, and this is thanking for it.